0: Do keep your Bibles open there at Romans chapter 5. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you for the absolute truth revealed in your holy word. And as your word is preached this evening, grant a desire in the hearts of all present and in the hearts of those listening online to hear you speak. May your people be built up in their faith this evening. May your kingdom be extended. And above all, may you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the beginning of this new year, we're continuing a series of sermons of Paul's letters to the church at Rome. And we've come to chapter five tonight. And by way of introduction, a great evangelistic tool is to ask the question, if you were to die tonight, would you be in heaven? Have you ever used that question, Christian, when you're talking to someone that you know is not a believer yet? If you were to die tonight, would you be in heaven? And usually the answer given is, I certainly hope so. I have always did my best to be a decent human being, helping everyone, harming no one. You see, most people believe that we're made right with God, we're made to please God through living a good life. Most people have difficulty with what the Apostle Paul has been teaching so far in this letter to the church at Rome. This idea of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. As far as the Jews of Paul's day were concerned, salvation was through law-keeping. Salvation was through circumcision, not solely by faith. And so what Paul does in chapter 4 is to refer to the Old Testament knowing that the Jews of course revered the Old Testament and he demonstrates through the life of Abraham the truth of justification by faith. What Paul does is he sets Abraham before them as the example of those who are saved not by works, not by being good living but by faith alone. Sola fidei. He stresses that righteousness, being right with God, was credited to Abraham's account solely because of his faith. Now, in our day too, sola fide, the doctrine of faith alone offends our natural sensitivities because we naturally think that justification, this being made right with God, being in good standing with God ought to go to those who have earned that good standing. It ought to go to the good, to those who are trying to do their best, but not to the unworthy, not to the ungodly. And yet a few weeks ago, as we studied chapter 3, we saw quite clearly there that there's no one good, that we're all Wicked, that we all do not deserve God's declaration of being right in his sight. And in chapter 3, we saw that none of us are good enough. And so Paul declares clearly that salvation is by faith alone. And he reveals this truth by using the revered Old Testament individual, Abraham. My friends, Nothing you or I can ever do can atone for our sins, can make amends for our sins, can make restitution, can redress our sins. Our only hope is found in Romans 3 and verse 21. Our only hope is found in a righteousness from God apart from law. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ To all who believe, God was clearly the object of Abraham's faith. And God needs to be the object of our faith. You see, the object of our faith is so important. Our view of God must be as exalted as Abraham's view, who committed himself to believing what God had promised that one day, He would be the father of a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. That one day, in his old age, he would have a son. The way Abraham was justified, the way he was made right with God, it holds good for us as well. If we believe in the one that raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, we will be saved. What are we to believe? We're to put our faith in God who raised up Christ, the one who died for our sins and was resurrected for our justification. We're saved by faith. And a person is considered to have saving faith when he knows the truth necessary to save him and when he yields to it, when he rests upon it, when he trusts in it. My friends, it's so important To examine ourselves, to see if we have that saving faith. Have you that kind of faith? You see, here's what we need to understand tonight. We need to understand, as Paul explains to us in chapter 3, just how radically sinful we are. And how that that sin affects every part of our lives. So much so that we're totally unable to live up to God's standards. We're unable to affect our own salvation. We're totally depraved. And that's our position before God's grace touches our lives. We need to understand that we're in need of a radical righteousness which comes from God alone, through faith alone in the Lord Jesus to all who believe. Child of God, You once were in a rebellious state before God until your heavenly Father saved you, not because of some righteous works that you had done, but because of His mercy, because of His amazing grace. You have been declared righteous. The theological term for salvation by grace through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross is justification. By faith. Now, being good Presbyterians, especially if you're a bit older, you'll know your sort of catechism. You'll know the answer to question thirty-three: What is justification? Do you remember? Justification is an act of God's free grace, whereby He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone justification is an act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross God the father looked upon Christ's atonement upon his work, upon his righteousness, and said, I declare about all of those who are in Christ, elected by me in Christ in eternity, I state on the basis of what Christ has done that those people are righteous in my sight. I view them as having kept the law. They are legally righteous before me. Is that the position? That you're in tonight have you been justified are you justified in the eyes of God this is so important we need to know how a sinner that stands guilty before the judgment seat of a holy God can be right with God we need to know the answer the answer is so vital if you want to go to heaven You've got to be right with God. If you want to go to heaven, you have to have, as it were, the paperwork that shows perfection, the paperwork that has no liabilities on it. There must be perfection accredited to your account, and there's only one way that that can happen. You are justified, pardoned, on the basis that Christ paid your penalty for sin On the cross. Only those who trust Christ for their salvation are justified, declared righteous before a holy God. And if you're a child of God, it's here. It's here in chapter 5 and verse 1 where Paul describes your present state before God. Look at the verse you have been justified through faith. And what are the results of our justification? What are the results of our being made right with God? Verse 1, peace with God. Verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And sadly, the time we have together tonight only permits us to to centre our thoughts on the first of these blessings in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that the peace which Christ mentions here is peace with God. He's not thinking here of the peace of God. He's going to talk about the peace of God on other occasions, he will teach us in other passages that at times of stress in our lives, at times of difficulty in our lives, we can have personal peace by asking God for it. For example, listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. We can ask God for that kind of peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And many could testify, some here tonight, that that's exactly what God has done for them. He's given them peace in the midst of the storm. That's not the kind of peace that Romans 5 verse 1 is talking about here. Romans 5 isn't referring to the peace of God, but rather to peace with God. The idea of chapter 5 verse 1 is that we have been at war with God. That God has been at war with us because of our sin. And that peace has nevertheless been provided for us by God if we have been justified through faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, what Paul has been saying in the first four chapters of this letter is that God is not at peace with us. He's at war with us because of our ungodly, because of our wicked, sinful behavior. And if you're a believer tonight... This is exactly the way you once were. God was angry with you. His wrath, his judgments were accumulating against you. You were guilty before God. Without Christ, you had not even the faintest chance for real peace with God because you were far from God You were not only alienated from God, but you had this constant tendency towards more depravity. You stood under the ultimate wrath and judgment of God. But God sent his Son into the world that our sins may be led in him and that the Father's wrath against sin would fall upon Jesus, our substitute. Verse 1 again therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God how through our Lord Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus alone is the basis of our justification it's not that I prayed a particular kind of prayer in the quietness of my room one evening it's not that I prayed a prayer in the presence of the minister after a gospel mission or after a church service. There was no merit in anything that I am or have done. It is simply that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus did enough. It's an all-sufficient Savior that we preach this evening. It's only because God has done that for you, Christian, through his Son, that God can now look upon you tonight with favour and pardon you and forgive you and reconcile you to himself. And now because of what Christ did on the cross, as far as God is concerned, the wrath is no longer for you because he's at peace with all who believe in Jesus his son. And as we saw in chapter 4, by faith Christ's righteousness has been given, has been credited Christian to your account. And apart from justification, apart from that which has been done for us in and through the Lord Jesus, there is no peace between God and man. But because you've been justified by faith, Here's your position tonight, child of God. The war between you and God is over. The war between you and God is ended. It has ceased to be. You have an entirely new relationship with God. A condition of peace has been established between God and the person who believes that God raised Jesus from the dead, the one who was our substitute. And Christian, because you have this peace with God, because the Prince of Peace reigns in your heart, there's no punishment for sin for you the bear. God finds no cause for condemnation in you. His wrath towards you has been removed. You are at peace with him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure forever. Verse 1 teaches that. Look at it. Having been justified We have peace with God, not just for a day, but for all eternity. Oh, my brother and sister in the Lord, we're not hoping one day to have peace with God. We have it. We have it already, and we're rejoicing in it. We're not talking about a, a temporary cessation of hostilities, it's not an armed truce between us and God. It's the permanent removal of the wrath and curse of God and its replacement is his favour, his friendship, his fellowship with us. You have peace with God. It's already in your possession, Christian. So I need to ask you tonight, is this true for you? Is this true for you? If you're not a Christian yet, realize this truth, that the warfare between you and your creator God continues. But my friend, it can be ended. It can be ended. As you've been hearing tonight, God has made his peace available to you if you come in unconditional surrender to him trusting alone for salvation in his son the lord jesus i will never forget my first experience with this kind of peace that we've been thinking about tonight i was 14 years old i've been listening to the gospel in my church for a number of years And I came that evening, one evening, to a deep conviction of sin. And of the fact that the wrath of God was upon me. And that night I met with Jesus. And I can tell you without the slightest hint of exaggeration that that night as I walked home from church, having asked the Lord Jesus to be my saviour, I had a spring in my step. Why? Because I had made peace. With God, And I knew, I knew as never before that Jesus truly loved me. Well, oh, child of God, how do you know that God loves you? Well, all you have to do is to think of Christ dying on that cross, being buried and rising again. I mean, you know that he loves you. You can't understand it. You can't but you know that he loves you. He's faced Calvary for you. And we read tonight in purpose the details in Mark chapter 15. You have solid facts of history to prove that God loves you. You see, God doesn't merely tell us of his great love for us. He's given us the most amazing proof of it. Look at verse six. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is assuring us here that all who have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus have been saved because of God's great love for us. And how do we know that it's a great love? Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul describes us in this section, before we were saved. Look at the words he uses, verse 6. Powerless. Powerless. That's the way we once were. Depending on the Bible version, the word powerless can be translated weak or helpless. It's the idea of left to ourselves. None of us are able to do even one small thing to please God or to achieve our salvation. We were powerless even to seek after God or to respond to God. We were lost without a compass, without a map, without a guide, without strength. And if someone were to drop us a compass, it wouldn't matter. If someone was to give us a map, it wouldn't help if someone were to say follow me and I'll show you the way we were powerless, we were helpless in the same verse, verse 6 Paul describes the way we once were as being ungodly we were in a state of face opposition to God not wanting God to rule over us but to be free to do as we pleased and in every way to oppose him and the third word is in verse 8 Sinners. It describes those who have fallen short of God's standards. We had broken God's law, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were powerless. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And verse 10 tells us that we were the enemies of God. We were actually opposed to God to the very extent that if we could, we would have destroyed him. We would have pulled him from his throne in heaven. We were rebels against his rule. We were active, hostile enemies against God, trying on all occasions to thwart God's kingdom advancing. I mean, what a a terrible description of the way we once were before the grace of God touched our lives. I mean, what a terrible description of the evil natures of those God loved doesn't it help us to understand better the nature, the depth, the greatness of God's love for us? The Lord Jesus didn't die for the righteous. He died for sinners to declare them righteous by God's own work and by God's own grace. This is how much God loves us. He loves us in spite of our sins. Verse 6 again, look at that. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us not when we were lovely people who were seeking him out and trying to be obedient to him, but when we were actually fighting him, when we were willing to destroy him if we could. I mean, what great love our God has for us. And he proves that love not just by showing us the way we were before we were saved, but by sending his only precious son to die for us. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 40. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself, even unto death? Listen to the answer. Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. And so in verse 7, Paul compares what God has done in allowing Jesus to die for sinners with what human beings might themselves do in certain circumstances. Yes, a human being might be willing to give his life for a good person under certain circumstances, but Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And I'm sure you can give an example of someone who displayed the highest form of human love. And yet when we read of the love of God here, we learn it was not for those who were close to him, it was not for those who loved him that Jesus died, but for those who were opposed to him in every way. It's on this basis that God commends his love to us. He reminds us of the death of his son. It's at the cross that we see the love of God in all its fullness, What a great, great love God has for us. In Christ, God loves the ungodly, the sinner, his enemy. In Christ, God loves the powerless one. Did you hear that? In Christ, the sinner reaches the mark. In Christ, the enemy becomes a cherished friend. Actually, better than that, he becomes a precious, beloved child of God. In Christ, the helpless are picked up and they're carried safely one day all the way. The old songwriter said, If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. If that isn't love, there are no stars in the sky. If that isn't love, the sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth and there's no feeling like this. If that isn't love. My friend, there's nothing greater that any of us could think about or know than that Jesus loves us and has shown his love by dying in our place. No human words can express sufficiently the wonder of God's love. Your God, Christian, has poured his love upon you. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But listen, if you're not saved yet, if you're not saved yet, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, could it be that up to now you haven't grasped your spiritual state as an unbeliever? You haven't understood that the words powerless, ungodly, sinner, enemy of God describe you right now. You've never come to Jesus in order to be justified, in order to be made right with God. It's only when you recognize the truth of how you stand before a holy God that you can begin to appreciate this great love that God holds out to you through the death of his son. And Satan would tell you right now, how could anyone like you ever get to heaven? How can you ever atone for your past sins? How can your repenting and your faith and your believing ever make up for your rebellion against God? My friend, don't listen to the evil one this evening because Calvary covers it all. God loves you, my friend. Jesus died for you, my friend. Let those truly great thoughts move you tonight to do this, to end the war between you and God, that you might abandon your sin, that you might turn for salvation to the Saviour, What is it to be saved? What is it to be saved? It means that God, the righteous, holy, just God, declares you just as if you had never sinned. It's on the basis of grace through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus alone. My friend, make sure tonight where you stand that you are securely, assuredly in Christ justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in him. My friend, you've got to come to the point tonight where you're able to say, I recognize God is holy and that I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. I deserve to pay the penalty for my sin. I deserve the wrath and the condemnation of a holy God. I deserve to go to hell for all eternity. But by his amazing grace, God sent his son Jesus and he paid the penalty for all my sins. The Father's justice has been satisfied and he can now forgive me even though I am an unworthy sinner. And my friend, when you're able to say and truly believe that Jesus died for you, then you are justified. You're made right with God and you can now have peace with God may you seek that peace with God tonight and Christian may the thought of God's love for you set your soul on fire for him every day Christian live under the shadow of Calvary every day think of that cross Every day, live with the thought that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for you and allow that marvelous truth to get you out of bed in the morning. Allow that marvelous truth to enable you to take your stand for Jesus no matter what's ahead of you that day. And tonight, tonight, when you return home and when you place your head on your pillow, May thoughts, your thoughts be filled with the love of God for you and may your response be one of sincere, wholehearted love for the one who wore a crown of thorns for you, the one who was spat upon for you and beaten for you and nailed to a cross for you, the one who shed his precious blood for you, the one who died. Let's pray